Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 336 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, September 26th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 29th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Greetings, everyone. Now, before we get into the show, I do want to remind everyone that we have changed the day of our released episodes. We now record live on Tuesday nights on Facebook, and our episodes are available for download on Fridays. We've done that to make sure that we can talk about Star Trek Discovery every week, and we'll get to bring you even better Star Trek gaming news by releasing later in the week. And speaking of Star Trek Discovery, if you haven't already, please be sure to use our affiliate link to sign up for CBS All Access. Just click on the banner right on our homepage. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got going on this week? Well, this week, John Champion from Mission Log joins us to check out what it was like at the Star Trek Discovery premiere in Hollywood. Then we're looking at the viewer numbers for the first half of the pilot episode on CBS, and Screen Junkies have released an honest trailer for Star Trek The Next Generation. In Star Trek Online news, we're gearing up for the release of Season 14 Emergence on PC, and we're bringing you up to speed on the special events going on in-game this weekend. Then it's the return of On Screen. We're recapping this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery and picking it apart for details. As always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you in between our episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make the show possible from week to week. Because of you, the servers stay on, the lights keep working, and the show keeps producing. To find out more and add your support, please visit us at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. We've even got some new perks coming for our patrons. This week, a Star Trek Discovery after party with Al, Captain Gecko, Rivera. Once again, that address is patreon.com forward slash priority one. And we do thank our patrons for their monthly support. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. What a week and a half, Captains. Since we last left you, so much has happened, particularly surrounding Star Trek Discovery. As you are undoubtedly aware, Discovery made its global premiere on Sunday, September 24th, and, taking after Priority One, was delayed a few moments due to extenuating circumstances. Known as football. Yeah. But before that global premiere, on Tuesday, September 19th, Star Trek Discovery premiered in Hollywood, California. To talk more about that event is John Champion of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
John, thanks for joining us on this episode. And I cannot wait to dive into the premiere of Star Trek Discovery and your experiences there. Just tell me everything, man. Tell me everything. Uh, so I was born uh, in... <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, everything as of that night. So I didn't know what to expect. The only thing that I... The only thing that I could expect is that, you know, a little over a year ago, Paramount really went out of their way to do an incredibly fan-oriented event um, at the lot um, to show off some new footage and new trailer for Star Trek Beyond. And uh, they really just went above and beyond, no pun intended. Um, we were blown away by that, and, and that night ended with everybody getting a pass to go see Star Trek Beyond at, um, at Comic-Con later in the year, right? Nice. So what that said to me is that the powers that be who are behind Star Trek are, are really going out of their way to say, look, this is for you. This is yeah. for Star Trek fans, right? And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, fast forward a little over a year and... Um, Star Trek Discovery is imminent, and there's so much buzz about it. There's so much hype. So CBS now are, are going to show the same thing. They're, they're going to say, look, this is for the fans. This is something we know that you've been waiting for. We know that there's so much anticipation about it. Um, so we're not just going to sort of throw this out there on the airwaves and then hope people find it. We're, we're really mm -hmm. going to make an event out of it. And... Um, I was lucky enough to go uh, with a licensee and go inside the, the lobby at the Arclight, uh, which is a, a cinema here in town, about a mile from where I live, really close by. Nice. And, uh, and I was right at the end of the red carpet, or in this case, the blue carpet. So as people were coming in, I was just sort of standing right there at the end in the lobby there and seeing everybody come off the carpet. And... Everybody there was enormously happy. It, it was, um, you know, you had actors there from the original series. You had Bill Shatner, you had Nichelle Nichols, and then uh, really a representative of every series in between and producers and writers and other VIPs. I can't believe I missed Bill Nye, but he was there, oh, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I heard. Yeah, and... Um, and then, of course, the cast and crew of Discovery, all of them coming in and just so thrilled to be there. And so everybody just very approachable, um, you know. Did you get an opportunity to chat with some of the cast from the new crew? I, I did. I did. Uh, I talked to Wilson Cruz a little bit. Really delightful. And, and he was just – it seemed to me that he felt like a fan. You know, more than right. anybody. He, he was just so excited. And they had some displays up in the lobby of uh, uh, Klingon costumes. And he was going up to those and just sort of trying to get a close look. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe these look so great. I want a picture with this. You know, so he was yeah. excited about that. And uh, Doug Jones is somebody who I've talked to uh, a couple of times before. He and I have a mutual friend. And we sort of bonded over that. He was enormously excited to be there. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, what can I say? I, I didn't get to talk to everybody, um, yeah. but the people that I did get to talk to, um, they were just beaming over this mm -hmm. whole thing. They were so excited to be there. 
Now, uh, tell me a little bit about the the atmosphere with the the fans. I saw that there were several familiar faces um, that I've seen at Star Trek Las Vegas conventions that were there in full costume, full regalia, full cosplay. Um, did you get a chance to interact with with those people? And and I also want to ask, what kind of conversations were you hearing before and after? Mm. the screening mm. so uh, yeah a lot of familiar faces uh, as you may know uh, someone from CBS put out an invitation online on Facebook I believe it was in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas group and said hey anybody in the LA area who is a Trek fan who's got a costume get in touch with me private message and a lot of people did and little did they know that they were being invited to this event yeah. Um, and it, not everybody. I mean, it was still kind of limited numbers. You know, the, the arc light is a finite space, right? Um, and uh, those people are invited to kind of fill out the area around the blue carpet. So as the press were doing their thing, taking pictures of all the actors and producers and VIPs coming through, the fans were there as well. And I, I tell you, I don't think anybody didn't stop at the fan group i really everybody that i saw there tim mickey um crystal uh my my friends neil and brett um they were just hanging out at the end of that line and everybody who came through stopped and talked and hung out and signed autographs and took pictures uh and really took their time so, so much of that, yes, it was a press event. Yes, it was there to get everybody's picture uh, online and in the paper. We still have papers, right? Um, so, yes, it was an event for that, but it was so much more an event for these fans, too, yeah. to be able to stop and, and have some one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with, uh, with the people who made this show. So, uh, I, I didn't get to spend a lot of time before uh, because I, I was kind of in a, a little bit different area, although there was one moment where I saw my friend Neil on the other side of the glass. He was standing just mm -hmm. outside, and uh, we reenacted the uh, the death scene of Wrath of Khan with our hands <laughs> up on the glass, <laughs> yes. you know. Um, and, and I'll tell you this. Yes, there are people, uh, a very small minority uh, of people who I know who I talked to before going into it who were just sort of... Uh, is jaded the right word just to say, oh, well, we're, we're not really into it. Uh, this isn't my Star Trek, that kind of thing. Um, sitting there and watching the show in the dome, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but the, the reaction overall was so positive, so enthusiastic, and then coming out of it, I really heard nothing but positive response. Now, Great. Th there were some who I talked to later who were still, you know, again, same attitude. This isn't the track for them, but they want to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I have to stress that that really is a minority. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, at the time of this recording, I still haven't had the opportunity of watching it. And so I'm really looking forward to the premiere on Sunday night. Um, it's it's just I, I'm I'm buzzing with excitement for it. <laughs> Well, I, I can tell you this, you know, my, my take on it is, uh, first of all, a, as I said, sitting in this huge theater and seeing yeah. this TV show, it is a TV show yeah. broadcast on this huge 40, 60 foot screen. I don't know how big it is. 
to see a TV show, and I keep stressing TV show, blown up that big and have it hold up as a feature uh, was kind of mind-blowing. Um, right. They they edited the two halves of episode one and episode two together seamlessly, so there was no closing credit and then opening credit. It just jumped immediately from the end of uh, uh, end of part one to the beginning of part two, and okay. there were people there who worked for CBS who were not Trek fans, not not familiar with the whole lore and what they were getting into, who didn't realize that that was both parts because they uh, it, it flew by for them and they thought it was just the 45 50 minute episode right yeah so right, that right, right. that should tell you something that they were that engaged they were that into it that yeah. it just flew by for them that's amazing um yeah so to see something with that quality of production that level of detail hold up when projected that big for an audience in a theater um, right. That really blew me away because not every TV show can do that. <laughs> not every show can hold up to that kind of scrutiny. Right. Yeah. Now, what about like as you were watching it with you know surrounded by fellow Trekkies and the actors? You know, I, I recently had the opportunity of joining uh, Jeff over at Shoreleaf Podcast uh, to for the 35th anniversary event of the Wrath of Khan and we mm-hmm. went we what we um we headed up to New York and met with uh, uh the New York away team and a bunch of and several other Star Trek groups in the area and watching the Wrath of Khan with a group like that completely changed the experience of watching the film mm. um mm-hmm. you know from the reactions of the audience you know laughing at certain parts of the film catching things that people were calling out uh, I mean obviously people weren't speaking or talking and you know, uh, screaming things out in the middle of the of the Discovery premiere. Yeah. But what was the audience reception like at, whilst watching it? You know, like in certain you, you don't you know you, of course without giving away certain scenes or anything, were there yeah. visceral reactions to what w- was happening on on the screen? Yeah, I, I most certainly can say that. Um, I, I looked over at a friend at one point, and I, I noticed that she had her, her hand in front of her face, like like she was about to have this emotional outburst. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be, you know, shock or tears or or, or yeah. what it was exactly. And um, I think for the most part, you know, the, this was an industry screening. It was also obviously a fan event. Uh, but it was an industry screening, and I think most people were being respectful of the idea that people wanted to pay attention. Um, right. There, There is a lot of story to absorb. There's a lot of groundwork being laid in these first two episodes, and I think nobody wanted to miss that. Um, so it, it wasn't wild and raucous. It was pretty... You know, it like going to see a feature movie where uh, people laughed in the appropriate places, people cheered in the appropriate places, but it wasn't over the top. Um, There were a lot of applause at the end. And I know that at least kind of in the area where I was sitting, little things like a little sound effect here and there would kind of get this this gleeful kind of nudge from the person sitting in the seat next to you like oh they they just did that oh they they just referenced that so that that was neat it was kind of this quiet excitement throughout but um yeah i i think that people didn't want to 
they didn't want to miss any detail. They didn't want to miss that opportunity to be totally absorbed by it. So uh, it, it wasn't like Wrath of Khan, where probably most of the people in the theater uh, where I was, everybody had seen it 30 times. <laughs> you right, know? Right, yes, um, yes. But, and, and so that might have been a little, uh, well, I, I won't say raucous, but, but people kind of knew what they were getting in for. This was just people yeah. sitting there, you know, kind of leaning over on the edge of their seat. Okay, what's coming next? Now, Mission Log is about to release a new series to talk about Star Trek Discovery. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this was, well, this was a long time coming, just like Discovery. We kept trying to figure out what to do because um, Mission Log, as you know, we cover episode by episode of all the Star Trek that has already happened. And most of those are pretty cut and dried, episode to episode, beginning, middle, end. Now, there are overlaps, and there are long arcs, and there are, um, you know, two-parters and, and longer, but uh, for the most part, we can handle it that way as a um, single episode, single discussion. No big deal. Discovery, from the beginning, we have been told this is a single story told in a 15-part season, or originally a 13-part season, and, and eventually became a 15-part season. And we thought, well, since we don't know what's coming and we really don't know how to approach it, Mission Log takes a long time to produce every week right. because it's a lot of research, it's a lot of rewatching, it's a lot of note-taking. We thought, all right, two ways we can make this work to our advantage. Um, one, we can see this just as fresh as everybody else, right? So um, we're, we're sort of learning it along with the rest of the audience. And the other thing is, well, because it is so fresh, what about that fan reaction? What, what are other people getting out of the show? So the whole point for the beginning was let's figure out a way that we can sort of turn the tables and make Mission Log Live about the fan reaction. And I, I want to be really, really clear about something, though, because I, I, I fear, you know, just being somebody who is, well, alive in 2017 and aware of the internet, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, um, I'm really dismayed at what internet, shall we say, discussion, criticism, critique has become. Mm -hmm. And I don't want our show to turn into that. I'm a lot less interested in people nitpicking and saying, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this design, and I don't like this costume. This, I, I really have no time or interest for that. Okay, mm -hmm. But what I do want is I want to turn it around on the audience and say, what do you think Star Trek's trying to say? Where do you think they're heading with this? What do you think the groundwork is that they're laying? And, and what do you think are, as we say on Mission Log, the morals, meanings, messages? So... Right. That's what I want to find out. It takes me and Ken a week to pick that apart for ourselves for these episodes that have already happened. And we have the luxury right. of hindsight. Um, but now we're not going to have that. We're going to watch the show on a Sunday night just like everybody else. And then on Tuesday, 48 hours later, we open up the mics and we want to hear what everybody else thinks. Great. That's, that's, that's exciting. That's really exciting. And I think a lot of people will like to, would like to share their thoughts and opinions, mm -hmm. especially with, uh, with you and Ken. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Now, will the episodes – so they're happening live on Tuesday nights mm -hmm. um, at 10 p.m. Eastern. 
and then they will be published later for on the feed? Yeah, uh, so what'll happen is that we'll have uh, the live show, the video cast will be archived at Facebook and uh, presumably YouTube as well on the Roddenberry channel there. And then um, the, uh, the audio only track will get its own podcast feed. We'll release the first episode in our podcast feed for Mission Log then all the subsequent episodes will move over to their own feed. Uh, we don't want to force more content on our listeners that they're not ready for or or maybe don't want. Maybe it's people who aren't watching Discovery or people who would rather just, you know, switch from one to the other. Uh, so we'll keep those separate, but we will release the first one in our main feed. And I'm sure it'll be full of spoilers, so that, that that's an early warning right now. Awesome. And now where can people go to participate, to watch live, and then ultimately call in? Yep. So if you go to facebook.com slash mission log pod, uh, there is already uh, a video placeholder there that becomes the actual feed when it goes live. So that post right now that is a countdown leading up to Tuesday night uh, that will stay there, and that is the location for the live feed. You can set a reminder, or you can just go back and watch that post if you bookmark that post. Now, if you want to participate, we're going to drop in the link. People who are on computers who want to share video with us, uh, they can log in through Zoom. They can also do that through video. They can also, uh, I'm sorry, audio. They can also do that with uh, text messages to us in the chat room and on the uh, Facebook comments. And uh, we will have a phone number as well, so people can just call in from a phone, from their mobile, and uh, connect to us that way. That's exciting. Well, we're all looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to the uh, the ideas and, and thoughts that uh, our listeners have on, on Discovery. Thank you so much, man. I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of wild ride for us, and the whole idea is that Mission Log Live can, can keep going. Whenever there's something new in the world of Trek, we can just yeah. fire up the live feed and then uh, uh, have people get in touch with us that way. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so very much for stopping by and sharing your experience with us here of the Star Trek Discovery premiere in Hollywood, uh, and for sharing Mission Log Live with us. We can't, we can't wait. Hey, my pleasure, and uh, always glad to talk to somebody else on the network. Absolutely. Thanks again. Bye. Again, thank you to John Champion for stopping by and sharing your experience. Now that Discovery has hit globally, we're starting to get word of some of the viewership numbers. Like we predicted, the only real numbers we're seeing are for the television broadcast premiere that hit the airwaves after the NFL game and 60 Minutes. According to Deadline.com, Discovery drew 9.6 million viewers, and that number is expected to grow to more than 15 million over the next seven days, as a result of delayed viewing on DVRs and so on. Comparatively, The Orville got just 8.6 million on its Sunday premiere a few weeks back. Now, when it comes to CBS All Access, the only word that the news outlets are getting is that the premiere brought in a record number of single-day sign-ups, beating the 2017 Grammy Awards in February. To the surprise of no one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Captains, I think that I have been vocal in my frustrations with Star Trek Discovery being um, on CBS All Access, not being pay-gated. Right, but being on CBS All Access, whereas throughout the rest of the world it's on Netflix, um, you know we will never see those numbers. It's unlikely Netflix doesn't even really release its numbers, um, except for April 2017 when it had 
uh, announced that it had it had broken 100 million subscribers. So if CBS All Access hits a notable milestone like that, maybe we might get a number like that. Um, but right now, it's anyone's guess how successful CBS All Access has been in the eyes of the suits. Mm-hmm. Up on top. Yeah. I will say one thing that I was quite impressed with, and I know that some people have had different experiences, but, you know, I went into it thinking, I'll be lucky if we get a completely smooth experience because I can pretty much guarantee that the all access servers have never had that kind of traffic ever. And I did have a few moments of buffering, but it actually wasn't too bad. And I was streaming in HD, so um, I was. I, uh, it, it, pain, it literally pains me. <laughs> To, to say that it was a good experience um, because there are a lot of reasons I hate that paywall. But I have to say, I think uh, Les Moonves might have been um, something of an evil genius. Time will obviously tell, but uh, some people in rural areas that I know of had some more trouble. Yeah, I, there, there's definitely a... Um, and actually, before I continue, I have to, I have to point out, um, Jocelyn in the chat did, did also point out to us that it's not really globally on Netflix outside of the United States. Canada has also to subscribe to a third-party um, streaming service in order to watch Star Trek Discovery. Um, so our friends in Canada are also experiencing this bit of frustration. Um, and Tony, to your point, um, yeah, people in rural areas having issues. And I've had several friends and acquaintances who know that I'm a big Trekkie come to me and talk to me about the barrier to entry that is CBS All Access. You know, people who are Trekkies, you know, who who have loved the series or grew up with the series, um, but aren't ready to pay for yet another subscription service. Um, or, you know, th- there's a confusion as to how to access it. You know, is it, can I only watch it on my computer? Um, if I if I can't, how do I access it on my television? Well, not all televisions have the app available for download. Like older Samsung smart televisions cannot download CBS All Access. So you can really only access it if you have a Roku, um, a Google Chrome, an Xbox or PlayStation, um, or Apple TV. You know, like these are these are these are barrier. This is techno- technological barriers to entry that I think put off certain people and i don't even want to say it's a generational thing because i know there there are people my age who are like no i I don't get it look if it's not netflix or hulu or amazon prime i don't know about it i don't i don't know it i don't know you know um so time will tell now the counter argument to that because it's worth we had a very long my Facebook wall broke earlier today <laughs> when I had shared. It did. I've never seen that many comments on like anybody, like a friend's yeah. posts. Like, okay, fine. Like on a corporate post or yeah. something. I've, I've never seen that many comments. Yeah. on Elijah elicits strong feelings in people. Strong feelings. I do. I do. I do. I, do. Um, I broke. Yeah, I broke my Facebook wall when I had shared an Engadget article about how sad it is, really, that that Star Trek. And particularly Star Trek Discovery, which is, which is taking very strong themes and presenting it and slapping you in the face with it, just like Gene Roddenberry did in the 1960s. Um, and how sad it is that that certain generations may not get to watch this because of the fact that it's pay gated on something like CBS mm-hmm. All Access and a family that has to choose between you know whether or not they whether or not they can afford it number one or whether or not. 
uh, it's in their budget. You know, a, a child, a young Mae Jemison or a young Whoopi Goldberg may not get a chance to see a woman of color. And they may be watching anyway because it's MA. In a leadership role. And on top of that, yeah, they, they may not get to see it because it's TVMA. Although what we've seen so far hasn't merited the TVMA um, rating. So in that discussion, what I want, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning the other side of, of the argument, which is that, which is that television is another form of art. And therefore, we should be willing to pay for an art form, just like I am willing to pay to see a theatrical performance, just as I am willing to pay to see uh, a movie when I go to the theaters. Um, mm -hmm. Or like back in the day, I was willing to pay to rent a movie off, off of Blockbuster. Now, I have never once said on this show or elsewhere that I think, I think Star Trek should be free for all. It'd be nice, sure. And I think that putting it behind a subscription wall would allow, would allow for better storytelling if it were on something like Netflix or whatnot. Taking hints from the Marvel Cinematic Universe over on Netflix, I think, I think that a, an on-demand streaming service that isn't confined by broadcast television is the place for Star Trek to be in order to push that envelope. Um, and so the counter argument is that that you know what if if you want it you got to be willing to pay for it like any other art form or any other form of entertainment you want to go to mm -hmm. like a concert or whatnot. So there there are others that pointed out well you know what just subscribe to CBS All Access while Star Trek Discovery is on the air and then pull your subscription and that's it pause your subscription mm -hmm. and then pick up on it. And you know what that's right that means that the most you're paying for for Discovery is twenty four dollars if you do it with commercials or $40 if you do it without commercials because it's going to be roughly four months, mm -hmm. right? So, you know what? When you put it in perspective, sure, that makes sense for that form of art and that's less than I would spend going to theater. That's to like a theatrical performance, a Broadway show, uh, and I'm getting the trick that I want. But then at the same time, I'm thinking about the long term and the long term goals for CBS All Access is what, what's their long game here? If people start unsubscribing at the end of Discovery because there's no value in CBS All Access, isn't that going to inevitably hurt what? any future production of Star Trek Discovery? Oh, my God. Are you saying that their business model might collapse when their primary product stops being produced? Gracious sakes alive. Who would have ever thought that? That's the problem with this idea is that they're tying it to this one horse, and when that horse gets tired and isn't pulling the wagon anymore, the wagon stops. And that I, I guarantee that's going to happen. I think that you're getting a little ahead of yourself because they claimed a while back, I'd have to go and find the citation, that they were aiming for 4 million subscribers by the end of 2020. And the suggestion here is that Discovery will easily pull that um, with some to spare. Now, we don't know exactly how many people signed up for CBS All Access out of those, sure. because it's presumable that the ni those, that 9.6, not no, all of them no. went over. But there is a lot of wiggle room there to be had. I think we, we know that the series has already been paid sure. for, and if anything that they get over that 4 million subscribers is pure profit, right. basically. And so from what their plans were. But what is considered a subscriber, though? I think that's my question. Mm. Is, that, is a subscriber somebody mm. who stays subscribed for a 12-month period? Or is it a subscriber that pays for a month, a two, two months, or 
four months and then backs out. It's kind of like counting captains in Star Trek Online, right? right? Yeah, we, we or, had a, a million captains. Or Elijah. But it's You're in retail? Remember retail? Remember full-time equivalents? When you had employees at a store? Mm -hmm. Kenny, you probably know about this too. Is If, if they mm -hmm. count a year yeah. subscription, right, and people unsubscribe after three months, it takes three subscribers to equal one full-time equivalent. And I think that's kind of where they're going with this. Your two million and your four million that you cite uh, a bunch of times, I think that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. If they got three million people to, 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 to pony up after the end of, of, of Star Trek uh, Discovery on, on CBS broadcast, and those three million people cut off the, the subscription at the end of four months, that's one million subscribers. So in order to make that goal, yeah. they'd have to get six million people to come on after and then keep that for four months and then cut it. And then they, then they hit their two million full-time equivalent goal, which is not unreasonable. Mm. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that two-thirds of the people that tuned in are Trekkies or Trekkers, Trek fans, and were mm. curious enough to see the end of the show to find out what happened in part two. That's not unreasonable. Mm. Now, whether or not people stick it through it through the whole four months, that's the real question. Uh, and on the subject of, of numbers and stuff, those uh, comparable uh, numbers, uh, Orville was advertising that their one week or whatever it is, they didn't cite any you know, sources or anything, it was 15 million total for the Orville, and I'm sure that counts everything you can possibly get. I saw other numbers online that are more like 11 and a half uh, for their live plus three or whatever it is that they want to call it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's encouraging to me to see that both Star Trek and the Orville are finding audiences uh, at about the same clip. So, you know, it would be this, the same number of science fiction fans are out there sort of tuning in, uh, roughly. So I think that it, it means that these, uh, these shows are finding audiences, whether it's on broadcast TV or maybe online, we'll find out. Uh, but they are finding those audiences out there in numbers large enough that the network isn't going to pull the plug on them immediately. For me, what has what I've pulled away from this and that lengthy discussion on my Facebook wall, I realized, you know what, twenty-four dollars, forty dollars for a season of new Star Trek, with that 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 costs eight million to make per episode. All right, you know what, I'm gonna cough it up. And, I, and here's and here's the biggest takeaway for that: the premiere was darn good. I liked it. To, if I could, if I'm willing to pay sixty dollars for a starship in Star Trek Online, then I have to bite the bullet. <laughs> You like have to bite the bullet, ships. right? Hang on. You like a pack of starships and, for sixty. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's fleet. Then I'm willing to pay twenty-four to forty. I pay sixty over the for course that. of four months to get some new Trek. I am. So I yield. Mark the date and time in the ship's log. So on that note, hey, if you were wondering where the Romulans are in the story, well, stop right now, because according to Star Trek Discovery producer Aaron Harbert's. Romulan is a bad word in the writer's room. So where did Takuvma get his cloaking device? Oh, well, stay tuned. We'll ask that question later during our discovery segment entitled On Screen. I gotta say something to this. I really, really hope that we never see Romulans in we Discovery, won't. and we I'll won't. tell you why. Be we, can't. we can't. We, we literally can't, because that will be breaking yep. canon. Because yep. in um, Balance of Terror, they said that nobody yep. in the Federation has seen any Romulans for over 100 years. Yep. That's why it's a dirty yeah, word. You just, I just, yeah, yeah. Actually, so, no even during the Romulan War, did we ever see? Did did humans ever no. really encounter Romulans? I always thought that it was they, they no. never they probably didn't. They actually. never saw face to face. It was very no. much a cold nuclear war. Yeah. The the the, mm. the through line was the uh, they sacrificed their ships, like at the end of uh, um, Balance of Terror. 
they always self-destructed, and so they never recovered any bodies or anything. Uh, and uh, and yeah, yep. so uh, the, they had no idea what they looked like, no idea where their real home world was, I guess. And uh, yeah. And lastly, in celebration of Star Trek The Next Generation's 30th anniversary, the folks over at the YouTube channel Screen Junkies thought it was time to make an honest trailer for one of Star Trek's most beloved incarnations. All right, this was funny. I like this. This is good. It was yeah, good. it's pretty it was funny. Good. It's like a little bit mature. It's like a little bit for mature audiences. Not too bad. Um, but it hits on some like classic old jokes, like Worf always getting his butt kicked. Yep. Um, yep. But then they pointed out things that I had never realized before, like how many freaking concerts yes. there are in <laughs> the next generation. So <laughs> much. And how many concerts. times Data said I'm an android. I never got that either. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I have an android. No kidding. Really? With your yellow eyes yeah, and your yeah. white Never thought it. Never, never got it. Yeah. Mm. So screen junkies didn't disappoint with this one like they never do. They never disappoint with their honest trailers. Uh, so be sure to go check that out over on their YouTube channel at Screen Junkies. We'll put the links, of course, in the show notes. Well, Captains, the biggest news of the week is that Star Trek Discovery has premiered, but we've got other things to cover in Star Trek gaming news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome once again to Star Trek Online News, where this week it's the launch of Season 14. But there's also some free swag that you won't want to miss out on, which we'll get to in a bit. But first... Our top story of the week is that the release date for the PC debut of Season 14, Emergence, was announced last week. And it's next Tuesday, October 3rd. For those of you who missed it, the new season brings with it a new featured episode starring LeVar Burton as Geordi LaForge. A new five-tier fleet holding, a new Zinkethi red alert, two new PVEQs, and a new primary specialization called Miracle Worker. Let's start with the new featured episode. Now, according to the press release, quote, You'll accompany LaForge and Captain Kumarke on a new colony world on Dranor. How will these two long-separated species learn to interact and coexist? You'll find out in Melting Pot, end quote. This will be the second of two featured episodes that LeVar Burton is slated to star in, so be sure to check it out. Along with the new featured episode, we also have some new details on the new space and ground cues coming out with Season 14. The space cue Dranor Gauntlet is a five-player cross-faction space battle in which you'll be protecting the planetary defenses around Dranor as the colony builds them up. If you can hold the line, you'll be rewarded for your efforts. The queue will be available for all level 60 players, and you can play it on normal, advanced, or elite. Where the season 14 space queue sounds similar to previous seasonal queues, there's something a little different about the ground queue, Dranor Beach Assault. This new ground battle, which takes place at the joint Lucari-Kentari colony, pits you against an invading Zinkethi horde. But you'll have a team of 10 with which to do it. This is the first 10-player cooperative ground queue in Star Trek Online, and it promises some unique gameplay. From the announcement blog, quote, We believe it'll take two ground teams to defend the main facility until Captain LaForge gets the main shields back online. Once the colony's shields are up, it'll limit what damage the Zinkethi can do. However, stay on your toes out there, as we don't know what tricks the enemies have up their sleeves, end quote. Draenor Beach Assault can be played by captains level 50 and up, along with the space queue Draenor Gauntlet, 
both available when season 14, Emergence, launches on October 3rd. Can I just point out that Zenkathy, I don't think, have sleeves. So I don't, I don't think they have any tricks up their sleeves. because Probably not. They probably don't have That's That's weird. Why would they? Why would they? That's, that's poor choice wording. Ambassador yeah. Kel. <laughs> From upcoming content to new goodies available now. First up, there are a few new items available in-game to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. Captains of any faction now have access to scants or a scant-like equivalent. That means scants, kilts, and bare Romulan and Klingon legs. Holy moly. <laughs> There's also a new Type 7 shuttlecraft available. Of course, that's the one from TNG. Both the Type 7 Shuttlecraft and the Scans are available now in the C-Store. And as a special bonus, they are all absolutely free between now and Thursday, October 5th. But that is not all. In addition to the next generation freebies, all captains can also get their hands on a brand spanking new Star Trek Discovery uniform to celebrate the launch of the new series on CBS All Access, which you should be subscribing to via our affiliate link, please. That, too, is available now in the C-Store and is free between now and Friday, October 6th. So, I've already done this. I already got in and I, I created my Discovery uniform. I think yep. that um, I think that Thomas Maroney should do another one of those color, like if you want, because it's obviously blue, but what, what, what blue is it that they dyed in Sweden? Is it, is it hexadecimal HGBB24, whatever, or is it... <laughs> Or is it hashtag FYBB486, you know? Like, like I'm kind of curious oh, what... Oh, wait, you can choose the, the color? I've, I've grabbed it. I haven't actually put it on my character. Yeah, yet. you can change the color. You can make it whatever you want. You can make it rainbow. Ooh, as for, you know, you can make the little, the those uh, braided shoulder pads rainbow. And I've seen people walking around with it with, like, a very unique color scheme. But I want, you know, for me, my immersion. And I want the authenticity of, of wearing a Discovery yeah. uniform. So I'm curious what what the official colors are. So, Thomas, if you're listening to this, we'd appreciate a color scheme table like you did with the Odyssey uniform. Yes, please. So, now that we're coming to you on Fridays, we can include a bit more information about weekend events. First up, there's a new mechanic in town for how weekend events are handled. So, there's a new weekend event store starting today, which is where you'll pick up rewards from all your weekend events. It's accessed through the Reputation tab in your Character Status window. Similar to the Summer and Winter event stores, you can use the new Event Currency Weekend Event Vouchers to purchase current and previous weekend event rewards. And now, by popular demand, all items purchased in the Weekend Event Store are account-wide unlocks. That's right. And now onto the events not to miss this weekend. The Kobayashi Maru event is back, rewarding marks and dilithium based on how far you get in the mission. And if you play for three days, you'll unlock the Universal Console Reiterative Structural Capacitor in the Weekend Event Store. And finally this week, there's a 15% off keys sale, supporting the Infinity Lockbox, which is dropping all over the galaxy as we speak. All these events are slated to run now through Monday, the 2nd of October, so be sure to log in over the weekend. Now, Captains, if you're coming into the game again just before the launch of Emergence Season 14, perhaps there's something you might be able to learn from Winter's weekly top tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran Captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. 
This week I'm going to talk to you about two very simple and quick missions that you can add to your daily tasks to earn a small amount of XP and 480 Dilithium. If you travel to Starfleet Academy and go into the building that Lieutenant Farah is in, you will find in the back of the building an officer named Commander Viala. If you interact with this officer, she will have two missions for you called History 101 and History 102. History 101 is an extremely easy mission and after you pick it up, all you have to do is move a little to your left and interact with the console that is highlighted. Simple as that. You will instantly be rewarded with a small amount of XP and a data chip. This data chip can be used to earn a special accolade in the Path to 2409 series. All you have to do is double click on it. Every time you do the History 101 mission you will get a different data chip, at least most of the time. These data chips can be traded so if you do end up with a data chip that you have previously got, you can put it up on the exchange for some EC. I will say now though that some data chips are worth more than others. The second mission that Commander Viala has, History 102, is pretty short as well and rewards 480 Dilithium and a small amount of XP once you complete it. After you've picked up this mission, turn around and you should see three consoles highlighted to your right. Move over to them and you will have the option to test your knowledge. Select this option and a new window will open up. To the left of this window will be a question based on Star Trek lore. At the top it will say, the path to 2409 volume something chapter something. You will have three options to choose from. The easiest way to get the correct answer is to open up your web browser and google the path to 2409 lore. The top result should be lore official Star Trek online wiki. From there you can select the volume and the chapter for the question that was asked in game. Once you have your answer, select it in game and then you can return to Commander Viala and claim your reward. I should also point out that you can do these missions on the KDF Faction 2. To access them, all you need to do is go to the Klingon Academy and interact with an NPC named Lore Singer Chateau. You can find him near the centre of the map, close to the huge statue. Once you have picked up the two missions, you will need to go down to the area that has bank, mail and exchange access to finish the missions. For more information we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO336. In other gaming news, I know that all of you out there listening are very eager to get onto the topic of discovery. But there's just one more quick announcement before we do that. Star Trek Timelines this week announced the launch of version 3.0 with new content and gameplay and new discovery characters and storylines. There's a Discovery-themed mega-event coming from the 5th of October through the end of the month. And we're sitting down with Disruptor Beam next week to bring you all the details. So, if you want to find out more, be sure to tune into Priority One next Friday, the 5th of October, to get the inside scoop on Star Trek Discovery in the game Star Trek Timelines. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now it's time to welcome back our on-screen segment, where we'll be discussing Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we analyze Star Trek Discovery. So, spoiler alert. If you have not yet watched Star Trek Discovery, now is the time to pause this recording and revisit this episode. 
after you've done so. Let's start off with a summary of what we watched this week. The Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Star were parts one and two of the Discovery pilot episode. In the Vulcan Hello, we join the crew of the USS Shenzo, captained by Philippa Georgiou, investigating an anomalous reading near a binary star. There's some kind of interference, and the only way to check it out is for Commander Burnham, second in command, to check it out for herself. Commander Burnham gets inside the scattering fields surrounding the anomalous reading and discovers what looks like some kind of alien ship or structure. When she lands on it, she's greeted by a mysterious figure, and in an attempt to flee, she accidentally kills him. When she's finally rescued by the Shenzo, we discover that the stranger was Klingon, and her accident has set off a chain of events that could lead to war. Burnham advocates using the Vulcan Hello, aka shoot first, ask questions later. Captain Georgiou disagrees, and when Burnham's mutiny attempt fails, she ends up in the brig. In the battle at the Binary Star, it's clear that the Klingons who warped in mean business. Despite backup sent from Starfleet, the Klingons easily defeat the Federation ships and warp away, leaving them broken. Georgiou and Burnham mount a last-ditch effort to capture the Klingon leader Takuvma. In the ensuing fight, both Takuvma and Georgiou are killed, and Burnham barely makes it out alive. Burnham is due for a court-martial, and the Klingons have declared war. So, Captain's the first thing we want to kind of try to focus on. Are, are any touchstones or Easter eggs that call back to previous incarnations of Star Trek? And there, there are quite a bit. Nothing, nothing extraordinary, nothing that we may have, may have not already heard of. For instance, there is a bottle of Chateau Picard, Chateau Picard. Uh, in the Captain's ready room. But other things that you might have noticed are, of course, the bridge sounds. Those were very much, in fact, classic bridge sound effects that you would have heard in TOS or in other incarnations of Star Trek. Wait, wait, wait. I have to interrupt you and just nerd out. Two seconds. Two seconds, I promise. They weren't just the same similar they were the bridge sounds from the original series and i know because i have them on my ringtones and stuff like that and it was the same ones and it made me so excited (laughs) that's just okay i agree i thought it injected that little bit of extra trek that Mm -hmm. that that you know what i didn't feel from the jj films right like jj had some familiar sound effects but it wasn't when you were on the bridge, it didn't feel like a starship bridge from Starfleet in the incarnations that we are aware of. Here, though, when there was a notification, when there was an alert, I heard the sounds, yep. and my brain imme- immediately triggered to Starfleet Bridge. It added a sense of familiarity with it. You immediately identified to, as you said, TOS or whatever. Now, did you guys uh, see, uh, Elijah, you mentioned uh, the bottle of Chateau Picard. Did you see the, uh, one of the production team, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, tweeted out a picture, a close-up picture of her bookshelf. Did you happen to see that picture? No, I did not. Basically, all of the all of the books on uh, Captain George's bookshelf are, uh, they're named uh, episodes of the original series. So there's, uh, yeah, there's um, City on the Edge of Forever, um, and um, the Man Trap is in there, and there's a, a whole bunch of them. You need to go on uh, on Twitter. So I'll clearly, see if I can she's find a time traveler. That because it was great. I mean, obviously, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> <laughs> or the production team knew that they'd never right, seen quite probably that. Probably more likely, but it's probably yeah, it's okay. probably more likely. I like the alert condition red and the Daft Punk robot face person the the, the, oh, yeah. the from the uh, from the motion picture the the 
uh, alert, uh, red kind of star with the, uh, the, uh, the waves coming down and, and coming up from the opposite thing. That, that was a nice right. little callback. Also like the out with the computer segment, uh, which of course is a throwback to every third uh, TOS episode uh, where Kirk had to out with the mm-hmm. computer to make it do something. Uh, that was good. Good, good throwback there. Also, yeah. we had another round of torpedoes and corpses, uh, which, of course, we all remember from Star Trek Into Darkness, the film that we shall not uh, name. Uh, but this time, in a twist, in a twist, instead of stuffing bodies into torpedo tubes, we are now stuffing warheads mm-hmm. into corpses. So I thought that was a nice juxta- yes. juxtaposition. You know, you know, making sure we use mm-hmm. all of the torpedo corpse memes, uh, uh, making sure we leave nothing unturned on that. It's good. Very thorough, I thought. <laughs> And there was a specific reference to the uh, uh, Trouble with Tribbles episode back in the 60s where the Donna 2-5 battle was the last time that they had uh, sort of, you know, seriously locked horns. And that was also brought up uh, in Takuma's speech, uh, also as sort of a sore point uh, when he was talking to the other people. Now, Tony, you you pointed out that the number forty seven made an appearance. It did. Right? I still I don't I don't remember where, but I did. I did when I was watching it mentally. I'm like, it better make. And then, sure enough, I hit that mental tick mark. Either somebody's shields were offline, or or warp engines were forty seven. I forget what it was, but they said forty seven, and I was satisfied. So good. You know, you you've hit you hit the you hit that point. You hit the point. Good tick. Uh, now, uh, what was the reference to Takuvma's cloak? We talked about it back in Trek so, It Out. So, yeah, in Trek It Out, so we talked about, t- technically, the Klingons didn't have cloak yet, right? We talked a little bit about this on Sunday night in our after-premiere gathering that can be found on Patreon.com, was that the Klingons didn't have cloak yet, except now that Takuvma's ship is the first ship in the fleet to have cloaking technology, which is one of the reasons why he is able to impress the other 24 houses right. of Quonos. Yeah, it's, it's established in the Enterprise incident that the Klingons traded their ship designs for access to Romulan cloaking technology. Uh, so it's just kind of a throwaway line that Spock says as he's reading his little uh, uh, you know, scanner device. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like, so how's this guy have a cloak, you know, 30, you know, 10, 10, uh, 20 years earlier, 10 years early uh, uh, from that. So, I mean, it's, who knows, a little explain it away. Interestingly enough, though, in After Trek, the after show recap hosted by Matt Myra, Aaron Harberts said that the Romulans are a big no-no. Like, that is not a lot to be discussed in the writer's room. So how they explain how Takuvma gets cloaking capability is is yet to be seen we'll we'll, we'll find they out do, yeah, but they don't need to explain it like hardcore trekkies will know how he got it yeah. but not hardcore trekkies won't really care <laughs> i'm a hard, pretty hardcore trekkie i have I'm, no idea if he has a cloak he's not supposed to right uh, uh, based off established based camera, off right. based on what, what we quote yeah. know but the thing is we know that there are cloaks around there are ways to get them, so I'm not I'm not at all surprised in the romulan empire yeah yeah and i'm not i'm not i don't i'm not that bothered that he has a cloak because we know the Asm eventually, so so what were what were your favorite moments from the episode? Uh, so I absolutely loved what I kind of call the prelude scene. So the bit where they're on the planet and what they're having the to save the well. The first two episodes were a prelude. Yeah, <laughs> I know they were a prelude to the rest of the series. No, but what I mean is um, the the prelude to these episodes. So they're on the the desert planet and they have to 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 fix the well so that these weird little insect people can have their water. I mean, I love that whole thing. I thought I thought they did a really good job of the show don't tell and they ex- established 
uh, the relationship between the two women, I think, really well. And it kind of gave me like a cool James Bond vibe. Like you remember all the James Bond films, they've got this like completely unrelated thing that happens at the beginning and it's kind of cool and fun and it and then the and then the credits roll that's what that kind of was like for me it was that little cool fun scene it was you know established a bit of background because if we if they tried to like explain their relationship like while all the action was happening later on it would have been real shoehorned in there so i loved the prelude scene i was yeah. i was a big it's fan too bad they killed her at the end of the movie yeah but you knew that from the opening credits special guest star <laughs> Special guest star. I was like, well, I literally turned Sentence. to my family and went, well, yeah. she's not going to be around for very death. long, yeah. isn't she? Oh, and I have to say, Tony, you've been pwned because that's exactly what I said. And you were like, no, the Shins is going to be around forever. Whatever. Well, I thought it was going to be Lorca mm. that bought it. That's the, I mean, I thought I was sure it was going to be Jason Isaacs that they knocked No, off. you what? I don't remember. What? I, I'm sorry. Am I one, remembering? One of the two. Am I, I coming in from a, a parallel universe? Because what I understood was Tony always saying... That Shenzo's gonna blow up and she's gonna die. I've gone, That's I've gone back and forth. At some point, I did mm. switch horses. I don't remember what my final horse was, but you can't have, you couldn't have Isaacs and uh, Yo in the same show, both being captains. That was not gonna happen. Yeah. I think, Correct. I think it went Isaacs was dead first. I thought I sentenced him to death right at the beginning, and then as we got more information, I think I switched horses and switched to Yo. But I, but I rode both horses at some point. I just don't remember which when I switched. If people are really curious, we can go back and research this. Doesn't matter to me. Yo's dead. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Which is a shame. You know, it, it, it's it a was, shame because they spent all the time to, building her up. Yes, and when it comes to the sociopolitical themes that Star Trek Discovery is already wow. slapping you in the face with, I think it would have been important no. for Oop. for Yo Oop. to have been. I'll tell you it, why. It, for the for the 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 situation to sp- to yep. the to switch nope. where. Lorca was the one she was with for seven years, and then Yo be nope. the, the badass captain. Nope. I'll right. tell you okay. why. You know, no. want to know why? Because Lorca is going to be the bad guy. Gabriel Lorca is going to be right. like an antagonist. He's going to be he's going to be one of the primary antagonists. You know how they said at the very beginning they're going to mix it up and make you know we're going to have we're going to have some conflict with the crew and some friction. Lorca is going to be Lorca is going to push. He's going to he's going to be his. I hope somebody's writing Just these write down. Write this one down. Lorca is going to be as close to the bad guy as you can get. <laughs> he's going to he's going to push some things right to the edge, and it's going to be up to Burnham, the one who pushed things over the edge or tried to, and that's why she that's why Lorca is going to tap her because yeah she's a wild maverick stallion whatever and going to you know going to you know go go to the right to the edge and she's going to she's going to try to pull him back. So speaking of, there have been arguments that no Starfleet captain would ever enlist a, a, a known felon or known convicted person. Well, let's not forget Tom Paris. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and and that's, yeah. that's the sort of thing that makes me really believe that Lorca is not going to be the typical Boy Scout Starfleet captain. Uh, he's, he's recruiting people, Burnham especially, who are going to get things done. Because you've seen him say a few lines like, we got to win the war, which is another shorthand of, you know, ends justifying the means type thing. So I, I think that's where they're going to go with this. Mm-hmm. But it was a shame that we didn't get to see the USS Discovery or any of the characters she's going to be doing this stuff with in the first two hours. Winters, yeah. what was your uh, favorite moment from the two-parter? To be honest, it's something that we've already talked about. The bridge sounds, that was about it. Either episode didn't really have any wow moments for me. I wasn't overly impressed with anything, to be honest. I liked two bits, and I think this is one that can't... I'm, I'm can, I don't want to steal your thunder because you wrote it down, because I like this bit. I just like this bit, too. Oh, you mean with um, Burnham and Saru kind of 
elbowing each other out of the way, kind of uh, having their little little tussle on the bridge. It was so it was so great. It just it, it set up their characters so well, and and another you know brilliant bit of show and tell show don't mm-hmm. tell pardon me um you just you know that burnham's going to be taken down a peg or two and you want it to happen so uh i, I just i love that little and moment fortunately they them. didn't kill off saru here so we'll maybe get to see more of that which is yeah. you know yeah i'm like yeah oh God, i hope it, so it was a good bit it was I a good bit. it really was a good bit the other I bit i liked saru. was when the admiral ship blew itself up because that was just you know it, it just it, to me it was just like this is the sort of Starfleety type thing that's going to happen, right? You know, it, 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 all is mm-hmm. lost, but I'm going to yeah. you know, take this guy down with me, and I'm going to save my friends. And that was the sort of thing where, yeah. you know, that that was uh, everyone was all surprised about it, but then everyone's like, no, that's that's what you ought to be doing. Uh, so I like that. I like mm-hmm. that bit. But uh, other than that, I kind of have to agree with 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 Mr. Winters here. I mean, there wasn't anything that was a Aside from the character building moment with Saru and, and Burnham and uh, that that sort of thing, that was about it. But are you watching it as a like, okay? So forgive me for wa- for trying to watch it as like a non trekkie and like just like regular like really good television or not good television. So I'm watching it and yeah, I'm, I'm watching it as a trekkie, but I'm also watching it trying to. Tr- I said this on Sunday night that I felt like I was watching something that happened to be about Star Trek, right? Like I like mm. like Batman Begins. It was Batman Begins was a film about a man who happened to be Batman. It was very, very much set in hyperrealism. So yeah, as a Trekkie, oh yeah, the little sound effects, those are really good. I, I really appreciated it. Um, some of the exposition was really strong. Whoa, like I mean, like two minutes straight of just nothing but exposition. And I mean, exposition on the, the most trivial things that did not need to be discussed in in length in any way, shape, or form. Like what? What were you... Like on the planet, Burnham goes off on this tangent where even the dialogue, just the dialogue and the delivery is kind of like, I can, knowing what Sonequa Martin-Green has brought to the table watching her in The Walking Dead, it almost sounded to me as if, like she herself as an actress was like, man, I gotta force this out because I don't even, I, I can't, I'm not believing what I'm even saying. So exposition on the on the desert planet. There was a moment of exposition on the bridge that kind of caught me off guard. That I was just like, eh, no, this this dialogue this dialogue is a little forced. It's a little weird. I got but, that a lot in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching it as as just television, visually it was stunning. Well, yeah. I the first thing I thought to myself was, this is Deep Space Nine. This is what I wanted out of Deep Space Nine. So my favorite favorite moment was. The hug of death. If there is a way that you want to kill a Klingon, just hug them, and yeah. a batleth will go right through them. Yeah, that was. But good. that battle, that yeah. battle, uh, that battle though, that battle though, that starship battle was, though, come on, that was that was, it was pretty beautiful. good. It was, that was pretty. Beautiful. It was pretty as far as space good. battles go. I'd watch it again. It was yeah. pretty for space battles. It was pretty for space battles. But um, any big takeaways? Uh, I'll. S- I've seen better. In Deep Space Nine. Here. It, get yeah. out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. You guys, get out of here, you guys. Come on. The camera flying with the Defiance as the cannons are shooting, actually flying with the ship. I've seen better in Deep Space Well, Nine. give it time. Give it time. Biggest takeaway for me is that I think Star Trek Discovery is is pushing on some very relevant themes, and they slapped you in the face with it in these first two episodes, just like Gene Roddenberry did for over two years in the original series, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about xenophobia. You're talking about... I don't know. I think Spock's brain said a lot about stupid people. 
You know, if you really get right down to it, people who walk around without brains. You're talking about xenophobia. You're talking about racism. You're talking about about diplomacy and a time where people are quick to pull the trigger. You know, the value of patience. It's just, it, it really slapped you in the face really, really hard. And I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. My the the thing that that really affected me. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's like a moral or a message or a meaning. Um, it's just a thing that it's been that's been stewing in my brain. Ha, is this whole question of who was right? Was Burnham right, or was Georgia right? I think they were both right, and also they were both wrong. And that's the bit that I can that I can chew on for days. And I love that they presented it in a way that we err on the side of Starfleet, but. You could argue that and, both and sides. And I'll, I'll even jump right off of that. The big takeaway is sometimes it just doesn't matter because the bad guys plan for what they think you're going to do. And they, he, he said, watch this part, guys. And then she said, we come in peace. And he said, see, told you. They always come in peace. Blah, blah, blah. And then Burnham locked a torpedo on them. And that sort of went, oh, well, then. Now they're sort of justified at shooting, shooting at you first because you did that. So I mean, it, it, in the end, it didn't really matter because uh, they were gonna they were gonna start a shooting war no matter what. But it sort of changed the the justification. Maybe uh, the Klingons might have even been justified firing first since they were the first ones to lock weapons. So it just maybe it just doesn't matter what people think or what they decide when when the, the historical moment appears or whatever. But the argument and how it was resolved was important. So what about you, Tony? What was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway was they should have made this a two-hour pilot for free and then charged for the rest of the show. Because I think that that would have... It would have worked better as a one continuous thing, cliffhanger in the middle. And I think I think a lot more people would have gotten the whole... Not only the morality message and the, and the payoff, right? You know, because the, the consequences of her doing what she did uh, without the break in the middle... And I think it would have been better sold as a prelude story, as an origin story, if it were one big thing. And I think they should have. I think they should have come at us with that too. I think CBS should have come at us with that, with that, with that concept. I, I felt a little cheated that I didn't get to see the USS Discovery when it's called Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. And Winters, what about you? What was your big takeaway from the episode? I don't have one. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Captains, that wraps up our first installment of On Screen. We hope you will join us every week as we explore Star Trek Discovery. Now it's time to open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 335's first community question was... Was it a good move for CBS to embargo Star Trek Discovery from reviews prior to the global premiere? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Shane said, I think they made almost the only sensible choice by embargoing reviews. Given the internet's penchant for blowing negativity out of all proportion, reviews almost invariably hurt viewership these days. I think of all the Trek newbie viewers who might never even give the show a chance if bad reviews start making the rounds on Twitter or Facebook. From the website, site as well, Tyler Maxwell says, I don't necessarily agree that review embargo is a good idea, but I can imagine that it might be less about killing bad press and more a concern about potential screener leaks and or hacking. All it takes is for one malicious Trekster to get their hands on a copy and pre-release it to the world, wrecking a lot of buzz and maybe even causing some legal headaches between CBS and distributors like Netflix. It's funny that we ask this now and we're covering it now that 
it's after the premiere because I think 2020 hindsight, I still think it was a good idea for them to have embargoed it. Yeah. Um, I think that given the tension and contention of it being pay gated behind something like CBS All Access, not pay gated entirely, but pay gated behind CBS All Access specifically, they needed to release this under their control. Yep. Um, and I it's agree. already very hard to do that in today's global market. I think this was a smart move. I think that it potentially saved the future of Discovery. Episode 335's second community question was, what do you think of the Star Trek Online featured episode Beyond the Nexus and Geordi's debut in the game? Chris Keen said on Facebook, I thought the mission itself was brief and I was really disappointed how the ribbon looked in the mission. It was just a static image with no entrails darting around the energy ribbon like electricity and no sound to project it. I nearly cried when I heard LaForge's voice in the mission. It makes me feel so warm when you hear a new actor's voice in Stowe. Can't wait till the next Mission. I completely agree with that. I totally got chills when Jordy's voice came on because I was like, oh, "It's Jordy!" <laughs> it just—it totally hit me. Yeah, I was pretty much the same as yeah. well, and I was also disappointed at the Nexus ribbon. Also, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I—I I would expect a little better from the devs. They were showing off the bridge. Yeah, true. They're showing true. off the Enterprise interior. That's what the mission was about. And Lavar Burton goes into the category of people who did not mail in their performance. It sounded like Jordy. Yeah, it sounded really like Jordy. From Priority One Podcast, Sean Newboy says, I enjoyed LeVar in the episode. Very well done. Thanks for all the talk about talk. <laughs> <laughs> this week's Title of Tuesday winner was actually an off-camera participant. Steve Ricosa replied, I miss the bird. I that which is hilarious because I didn't even see that tweet from from Rikosa, that and that's that's that was good. I'm not a princess. I'm not a Disney princess. For those of you who haven't seen it, this week's uh, the the photo to caption was a picture of Elijah sitting at the desk on the main stage at STLV uh, with JG Hertzler Just behind contemplatively him, contemplatively looking into the audience. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I yeah. was thinking at that moment. <laughs> And finally, our Sunday survey question was, of course, share your thoughts with us about Star Trek Discovery. Did you love it? Hate it? And out of 171 votes in a 24-hour period, 58% loved Discovery, 11% hated Discovery, and 31% said, I'm holding out for more. Now, Captains, we asked you for your first impressions about Star Trek Discovery on Facebook, and you did not disappoint. Now, unfortunately, we can't go through all the comments... And we have to truncate some of them for the sake of time. But we encourage you to keep the conversation going by visiting our social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter. For instance, Mike Faulkner wrote in, in true Trek fashion, I have a lot of questions and a lot of speculation rattling around in my brain. But setting all of that aside, I enjoyed the fresh take on Trek. Discovery got back to exploring which has been sorely missed in Trek since the 2009 movie. Robert Polito said, Releasing the episodes weekly is a double-edged sword. I hate waiting, but if they released all 15 episodes last night, I'd still be watching them and would not have gone to bed. Daniel Caruncho says, Good first impression. Let's be honest, none of the Star Trek pilot episodes were amazing. Encounter at Farpoint was good, but TNG still didn't have its footing. I'll give it time and hope other Star Trek fans do too. Dan Canescu said, I didn't mind it. It wasn't perfect. Character motivation will be explained as the characters themselves are developed. You can never truly judge a show based on its pilot. Mark Taylor wrote in, Overblown and simultaneously underdone. 
They have a setting and time period in mind, but ignore all that for the sake of showing off the budget. Do the fans a favor and show us the Trek we know and love from that era. Not this, well, JJ fanfare you got going on. Dan Moritz said, really not good. The characters were unsympathetic and their motives were unreasonable. The Klingons are more one-dimensional than they've ever been. The dialogue was painfully expositional and awkward. The pacing was terrible with long breaks and action sequences, just so that characters could state the obvious with the artful nuance of an enraged hippo. (laughs) It was really just a dud on all fronts. I'm sincerely afraid that CBS just killed Star Trek. Emma Wu Peel says, 98% of what I don't like about the show could be remedied by staging the show in the future post-Voyager and DS9. Much of this doesn't make sense to me by placing it in between Enterprise and TOS. Most of the tech didn't even exist in Voyager's time. You know, I think we got a very good survey of both sides of the argument. I think that right now what I'm seeing is you kind of either loved it or you didn't, right? And if and I... I, I I blame myself for using the word hate. I should not have used the word hate in the No, it's good that you use hate. It's good. No, I don't like hate. Hate is a very strong word, and given today's sociopolitical, I don't like it. Let me explain why hate's the perfect choice. It's the perfect choice because it means that you are are engaged with it. Even people who left me terrible reviews on my Foundry missions, it hit them, right? Seriously. Drink. Sorry, what were those uh, Foundry missions called again? (laughs) I am not mentioning them because I don't want you guys to be drunk. What I'm telling you is that when somebody hates your stuff, that means that that they wish it was better. Like, you hit them somehow. If they don't care, apathy, that's the worst reaction. If they hate it, that means they're wishing it was better. So, no, I think hate was a perfect choice. All right, okay. I I, kind of smell what you're stepping in. I get it. Um... But I think we got we got a good a sense of of what the reactions have been from an audience of, of diehard Trekkies and Trekkies that have appreciated the series for a long time. So thank you so very much. You know, we can only hope for the best now moving forward for the next 13 episodes. And we'll just see where this journey takes us is really what it boils down to. Keep that conversation going, though. That's that was amazing. The amount of feedback that we got this week was yeah. phenomenal. So we'll keep that conversation going as long as you do, too. Well, that wraps up episode 336 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to priorityonearmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel for some in-depth playthroughs of Star Trek Online. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by, well, you, our patrons, our supporters. Find out how you can continue to support Priority One Podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. We are releasing new content for you to enjoy. 
that we hope you will find value in. And remember, Captains, it's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, and with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Thanks to Jake Morgan as well for spearheading our social media endeavors, especially those Title It Tuesdays and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. Most importantly, Captains, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Recorded live on Tuesday, September 26th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday. Ooh. Ooh. Hard to teach an old dog new tricks, huh? That's true. That's true. Because um, you've only been doing it for 335 episodes. I don't know why you'd get that I wrong. <laughs> I know. I know. To find out more and add your support, please visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. We even got some new perks coming for our Patreons this week. Star Trek Discovery <laughs> after. Just say patrons. No, it's patrons. Yeah, because yeah, the pa- so it makes them sound like, like alien robots or something. That would be awesome. The Patreons. You are the Patreons. <laughs> Patreons. You are. You come in peace. Welcome. You will be assimilated <laughs> into. We need a dollar twenty-five <laughs> per week from you. Okay. Donate. Donate. If you like this show, the listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Tony, you either look sick or just tired or just like tired, man. <laughs> uh, the you yellow look... paint in the room also gives him kind yes. of a, 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 a jaundiced uh, glow. It does give you a jaundiced glow. <laughs> Holy Somebody crap. get that man a ring light. A little bit of, little bit of liver malfunction going on here. Could you have the <laughs> as well? Oh, Brian, Brian, Brian. And some, another Manhattan. Another, another gin and tonic, Brian. Another one. <laughs>